Hi, my name's Nick Wood, Head of Investment Fund Research at Quilt Achievia, and welcome to the latest edition of The Fund Buyer, a podcast for all things related to the world of fund research. So today is the third of our on-the-road episodes as we tour Asia in search of insight, new ideas, and a greater understanding of the, the true realities of the region. And I'm joined again by Carly Morehouse, who leads on Asia and Emerging Markets and is going to be sharing some of her insights again today. So on to the third episode. It's our third and final stop in Singapore. Um, as with Tokyo and Hong Kong, we're meeting with a range of, of fund managers, with companies, with, with market participants. Um, so this leg of the trip very much had a, an Indian theme to it with a number of meetings with um, specialist Indian managers, although... Uh, I think it's fair to say that uh, India has come up um, you know, quite a lot in the rest of the trippers as well. Um, and of course, if you are an Asian or an emerging markets manager, you will have wanted to be underweight China and overweight India, as, as India has done sort of very well in comparison. So that leaves the obvious question of whether India has done too well and, and whether investors should be reducing exposure after a good run. And that's something we've sort of generally been exploring. So, Carly... Um, Give us your thoughts on on what we've heard. Sure. So whether we were talking to Asia fund managers or those managing India-only funds, the view was still positive. So obviously the comments were made about valuations, and, and this is clearly going to be a big consideration when you have other countries where you can allocate capital and, and they're looking extremely cheap in comparison, you know, like China, for example. Um, many did, however, say that, you know, India is always expensive relative to other emerging market peers, but that the premium of the Indian index versus the broader emerging markets index has in recent years been driven more by um, China's significant derating um, than India's re-rating. And actually looking over the long term, since Modi was elected in 2014, India today is is more or less in line with the average during that period on um, afford price to book and, and price to earnings multiples. There are, of course, parts of the market that are very expensive, but there are also cheaper parts of the market. Um, you know, nonetheless, cyclically, India is in a good place right now. You know, prior to COVID, the economy in India wasn't great, and that's only really just started to turn more recently. At the same time, you have China you know, making people question whether it's uninvestable, Yet in India, geopolitically, things are fine. You know, Modi seems to be doing all the right things. Um, while, you know, things like demographics are still very favorable, domestic consumption is still strong. So you can see why people are so positive on India. Um, within that market, though, it, it was mentioned several times that small and mid caps are you know, very entrepreneurial and the most fertile ground for stock pickers. And many tend to balance this with large caps to temper the risk and, and provide liquidity within portfolios. But given the lack of coverage, this is certainly where managers have been generating a lot of alpha. However, it is worth mentioning that in India, the state elections um, are going on now, and the general election will be next year in Q2. State elections should be able to give more indication of, of what will happen in the general elections, but the consensus is that Modi will uh, remain. Nonetheless, um, you know, with uncertainty will will probably come some volatility, which which could present even more opportunities for stock pickers in the coming months. Thanks, Carly. Um, no, very uh, interesting. And uh, one, one thing I learned in our discussions is, is that... Um, you know, I think while India seems to be a good place to invest as an active manager in, t in terms of finding opportunities, it, there's, a, there's actually a pretty sort of punitive tax levied on capital gains. So, so for example, sort of MSCI 
India ETF lags the uh, the index by uh, you know sort of over ten percent over five years. So it it makes it um, tough index to beat. So but uh, um, you know always sort of nuances around um, uh, different markets, and that and that's one I've I've certainly learned. Um, another topic that's um, come up a lot has been uh, the, tr- the concept of, of China plus one. Um, so Carly, would you would you like to uh, elaborate on that one? Yeah, it's um it's something that we've been hearing about for quite some time, I guess. So this idea of diversifying supply chains away from China, um, it's certainly not a new thing as it started years ago um, when the cost of manufacturing in, in China started to rise. Then we had the Trump tariffs and then COVID obviously made companies realize that relying on, on one country for their entire supply chain wasn't a good idea and so on. Um, so China Plus One's basically companies moving their supply chains into other emerging markets, you know, namely places like India and Vietnam. But I think the fact of the matter is that it will take time for this to come through. It requires a lot of investment, not just into building a company's manufacturing facilities out into another country, but also that country's infrastructure also needs to be built out. And this isn't something that can happen overnight. Additionally, outside of India, the small emerging economies that are set to benefit from being China plus one destinations are still fairly small and illiquid with regards to actually investing there. Many have individual nuances when it comes to the practicalities of investing in these markets that make it more difficult to see this as a very strong investment theme that you can build a sizable part of your portfolio around. So while it is certainly happening in the region, it perhaps isn't as big a theme at this exact point in time but certainly one to watch. Thanks. And uh, another subject we've been talking a lot about, both in in Singapore, but also uh, throughout, has been whether or not teams need to be in the region to be successful. So um, this is a topic that several managers were keen to talk about for obvious reasons, uh, sort of highlighting their own benefits of being out here. Um, I think it's a tough one to judge as as there, there are clearly plenty of Good managers who 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 don't have that presence necessarily, and for who for whom it hasn't been a hindrance. Um, my take on it is that it depends on what the process and opportunity set looks like. So so for those that look for alpha in in smaller cap names, it would seem sort of much more important. We heard from managers about opportunities in in China's smaller tier three, four, and below cities. Um, another manager carried out annual team trips, specifically avoiding larger cities, visiting unlisted companies um in india the opportunity set in small mid caps uh, which are pretty lightly and, and poorly covered uh, has sort of continued to come up in our in our meetings um and others highlighted how the cadence of events in china seems to be accelerating and, and just whether sort of being on the ground is the best way to pick it up um but uh, you know i'm sure equally sort of long-term investors would say you know i really don't need to know have that sort of uh hour-to-hour, day-to-day news. But uh, so, you know, there's always um, different views on this. Um, At the same time, you know, perhaps for those only focused on larger companies, being on the ground is is somewhat less needed. Um, I I do think it's always an interesting discussion, though, and and I personally think there's a lot of nuance to it. And investors really need to fully understand exactly how a team derives its alpha and therefore why or why not presence in the region is, is important. Um, on that note, it leads me nicely um, into our conclusions from the trip. So um, certainly plenty of follow-ups, uh, certainly pl- uh, plenty of potential new ideas. 
Um, sometimes, you know, the worst meetings are, are also just as helpful. Uh, in the same way, a, a fund manager might uh, avoid a large index position or uh, or, or short. You know, uh, knowing a large fund isn't isn't necessarily worth client capital is is helpful. Um, I'm more convinced than ever that a, a physical trip to to Asia or, or indeed the US that we uh, uh, do at other times is is hugely beneficial for a, a team like ours uh, and for our understanding. But uh, um, I, I know amongst our peers, it, it's more of a rarity uh, these days. So uh, I guess at the risk of sounding like um, uh, many of the uh, the marketing pitches we heard, I, I'm you know I'm very happy that that we continue to have the resource to do that, and I do think it really sort of um, for for our own uh, sort of team, Alpha, it's it's um, it's important. So, um, Carly, um, what final thoughts do you have from the trip? Yeah, I think it was fascinating to be able to get insights. Um, on the ground from each of these three countries um, all are so different um, you know and as we said we've seen a lot of different portfolio managers macro strategists sector specialists and companies so you know have been able to draw a lot of information from from all of these sources and if anything it has certainly made me more positive on the region in terms of investment opportunities into the future we came away with some really exciting investment ideas, which I think will be great additions. And uh, yeah, that's, that's exactly what these trips are all about. Thanks, Carly. Uh, for me, it's been a very hardworking trip, so, so many meetings, but uh, I, I can't deny that it's, it's been both sort of fascinating and, and, and great fun. Um, so we will um, close it there on our third and final fun buyer on the road. As ever, thank you all for tuning in and stay safe. <laughs>